The following program is brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novos Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovosOrdoWatch.org. That's NovosOrdoWatch.org. flagship show of the Restoration Radio Network, the network for the thinking Catholic. And now, your host. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Restoration Radio's episode number 100. A little special edition here. I'm your host, Justin Soder, and I'm joined by Stephen Heiner, who is all the way overseas with us this evening in Prague, and uh, he's here to share some thoughts and reflections on seasons one and two, and uh, currently into season three, where we are, where we've been, where we're going it's sort of a monument in our timeline here, so we wanted to come on air and give you some of our personal thoughts. And, Stephen, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. And, again, apologize for a little bit of the background noise. I'm not in my regular home office tonight. So, Stephen, starting off here a little bit about the 100th episode, here we are at a season three, a little over the uh, end of the second month here of producing a lot of shows. Obviously, there are certain milestones that come along every now and again that make you stop and think. I think we're... I think human nature is sort of reflective of milestones, be it New Year's or birthdays or Christmases or things like that. And so we're at episode 100. My question here for you, I guess, to start off is, what are your reflections on this being the 100th episode of Restoration Radio? We talked about this a little bit in the season two wrap-up, and I I had always envisioned a five-year plan. Uh, The idea was to create uh, a network that would have shows every, every single day that we would have a show every single day so that there wouldn't be a day that went by that we wouldn't have Catholic content available for people. I knew it was going to take a while, not just because we would need hosts, but we would, we would need to work off of demand and we would need to develop a good listener base. I think what's stunning to me is that we're only a month and a week, a month and a week, five weeks into season three and we are so far along the path that I think we're going to get a lot closer to our goals here in this third season, and we may not have to wait till season five. And, and there are, again, there's a plan in place. We, we're, not just, uh, we're not just like the writers of Lost making it up as we go along. Uh, we, we had a plan in place, and, and we're executing along those lines. And thanks to people like yourself, Justin, who stepped up not only as a host, but uh, in, in your producing, your executive producer role to help us do this. And frankly, our clergy as well. Um, obviously, our listeners help support us financially to, to pull this all off. But uh, by the same token, if we didn't have the clergy, I don't really feel like we'd have, we'd have a, the legitimacy to have a network. I, there are some traditional, so-called traditional Catholic, or they would call themselves tradition-minded or traditionally-minded, whatever that means. 
uh, pundits who, who sit around and make YouTube videos where they give us lectures and just never envision that I, because I, I don't know that we as laymen have anything meaningful to contribute um, in the place of a priest. I think if, if the first, the first deference should always be given to clergy and if that's a defining characteristic of our network that I did not expect when we got started was that we are, we're a clerically defined network by and large. Yeah, I can tell you that if we had to sit around and do shows like this every day, I, I wouldn't be doing it because I just don't <laughs> think we have that much meaningful to say. And I agree with you on the clergy comment. I think that there is that um, legitimacy, uh, but there is also the sincerity uh, that I think a priest can touch a listener's heart and, of course, challenge their minds a lot better than laymen can uh, because they bear the authority of the off. That is a um, very much a key characteristic of this network, and I make no apologies for being a clericalist you know, whatsoever because I think, obviously, the the teaching authority is is much of what's been lost. And so we're very privileged to have the bishops and the priests come on and spare us their time and instruct us. Uh, one of the most recurring comments we get an email from people is how starving they are for this information. I, I hear that from overseas a lot, and I'm, I have the, the privilege of, of reading every email that comes through Restoration Radio and the fact that people continually say over and again, hey, this is great, we're starving for this, we have none of this here, this is, there's just this, this immense vacuum, and you guys are, are coming in and, and at least somewhat filling it. You know, for us, I mean, obviously, filling that vacuum has to start with yourself. Uh, but certainly, having traditional clergy which come on and talk about things like, you know, your show you last night about sports, or talking about the liturgy, or talking about the crisis, or talking about spirituality. Um, this is something that I think that, by and large, people are starving for. Well, speaking of starving, I hope one day we'll be doing at least a, a mini series on food. I know that you'll be. Uh... You'll be hosting that show, and, <laughs> and, and the, the restoration is not limited to, to religion. You know, it's something that encompasses our whole life. Obviously, uh, the great thing about being Catholic is your religion is your life, and it informs everything you do. It even informs the way you cook, the way you eat, the way you interact with your friends. And uh, we, we don't have the resources, believe me. We would love to do more shows and, and have more hosts, but part of that comes from you. And if you, if you know someone, if you're, if you're a listener especially a subscriber, and you know someone who you think, you know, Stephen, Justin, this, this person would be great to be on air. I just think they, they may not put themselves forward that way. You know, nominate somebody. We, we, you know, the way that Nicholas, Justin, and, and our, new, our new host from Poland, Lukasz, came together is was simply by networking within the traditional Catholic world, and, and I don't doubt that that networking will continue and that we'll pick up other hosts along the way. But I'm, I'm not, I'm not ashamed to ask if, if you know of someone gifted that, that we don't know who, who, who feels comfortable being on the air and would like to, who, who won't be afraid of being in the public eye. Um, Justin can tell you that he's not one who would normally have thought he would be a host of a several, not just several uh, shows, but he's also the producer behind the network. He would not have told you that, uh, you know, in fact, maybe if I had have said no in the first place, but uh, if you know someone that you'd like to nominate, you know, email Justin, he's mail at truerestoration.org. And um, we'd be happy to, we're not going to promise we'll put them on. There's a series of auditions and conversations we need to have with them. And they'll do practice and test shows before we would ever have them on the air. But 
uh, happy to start that process with anybody. Yeah, maybe I should chime in here for just a second. It might, <laughs> it might be a bit of a funny story for our listeners, um, actually, how I, I came on to True Restoration. I've known Steven since, I guess, about 2006 or so, and you know, we've, we've shared emails back and forth throughout the years, and, and it all kind of began with his, his involvement with uh, Bishop Williamson. So we, you know, we've been talking back and forth for several years, and I guess around late 2012 or so, maybe early 2013, he started pressing me to host a show on True Restoration. And I think, if I remember right, Stephen, I think it was the Devotion Show, wasn't it? Or yeah. the Catechism Show, I can't remember. No, it was the Devotion Show. And, of course, you know, I came up with all the excuses in the world. Well, you know, I can't do it. I'm, I'm, I'm too busy. I don't have enough time, blah, blah, blah. You know, the usual stuff. And... um in Stevens' never-take-no-for-an-answer personality, uh, he kind of kept on me a little while, and you know, I thought it over and decided, I, okay, fine, I'll just do a show. That's it. I'm doing a show. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not overextending or committing myself. And, <laughs> and so one year later, here we are. Um, so what I would say to any of those who may be listening, if, if you think you can do it, you're interested in doing it, you feel like you have a uh, you know, a decent grasp on the faith, um, or if you're, you know, a liturgy nerd kind of like we are, or, you know, you're, um, you're obsessed with Catholicism, uh, we'd like to hear from you, uh, for sure. And we'll see where we can put you. And I would just add one more thing to this. That is that we get emails from people saying, Hey, what about this show? And what about that show? And frankly, even from the clergy, we have the clergy suggesting shows, hey, we should do this. You know, we have right now, we have more priests than we do hosts to do shows. You know, we, we, we have priests who are, who are emailing us saying, hey, do you think I could do a show too? And we'd love to have them. But right now, we're at our maximum bandwidth. So um, if, if you're interested, by all means, make some contact with us, mail at truerestoration.org. And I would just add on to Justin's comment, you know, you can see that he's someone who's passionate about the faith and, and someone who's, who's good on the air. I, I knew that about him, but that's, again, a personal reference. And even though I knew him and even though I knew he was passionate about the faith, he just needed that push. And uh, so far, the people we've been referred to have often given that, oh, I'm too busy, et cetera. Look, we're all busy. I don't want you to get any sort of illusion that Justin and I have a lot of free time. Justin has his own business on the side, apart from his regular day job, which is quite demanding. I run four companies, one of which is True Restoration. Um, I now do that internationally, so I have to, I have to work across seven different time zones. Uh, so I, I don't have a ton of free time. The question I always ask is, if not us, then who? If you want to sit around and wait, you'll wait until Restoration Radio got founded. That's how long we waited. Someone else could have done this, and I've said this on more than one occasion. There are people within the so-called traditional Catholic movement, lay people, who not only have had the time, but the money and the resources to do something like what we do, but they never did it, and other Catholics just waited around. So my question is, if not us, then who? And if you feel any sort of thought along those lines, let us know. And remember, you don't have to be a host if you want to volunteer. There's so much more we can do. We can, tra- we can transcribe parts of our video interviews. We can do more research uh, for pre-production for our shows. There's a lot of work that we as the host and the clergy take on right now to make this happen. If you want us to get even bigger and go to the original vision, which is 30 shows a month, a show every single day of the month, we're going to need help to do it. We can't do it by ourselves. Obviously, I'm hugely appreciative of the people who've stepped up financially 
to help us put that infrastructure together. You're seeing the results of all of that. And you have been seeing the results of all of that. You don't just have to step up as a host. You can step up as a volunteer. There's a volunteer button if you go to truerestoration.org forward slash donate, and you can click on the volunteer button and let us know what your skill is, and we'll be happy to take your help. No offer of help is too small, nor will it be refused. No, it won't. I guess I would just reiterate what you just said is that we do have people that work with us behind the scenes who have no desire to go on the air. And it, so there's no obligation. There's no pressure there. Uh, our social media manager, who she always is, is busy doing something. I mean, she is such a help and really takes care of what is a very demanding uh, task for us across all of our social media. She doesn't want to go on the air. It's fine by us. You know, you don't have to do that. So, again, this is maybe the end here, the plea for you know, volunteers. But uh, we'd like to hear from anybody that has any input and uh, who's willing to step up and help us because we can make this a lot bigger. You know, right now we're hitting half of our goal. We're putting out a show almost every other day. Uh, we, did, we did 15 shows last month. There were 31 days in January. So, okay, we're just a hair off. Uh, but we're getting there. And uh, hopefully next season we might hit twenty twenty five a month, and it, you know that would be great. But it's not going to help. But it's not going to happen without more volunteers. Well, Justin, I guess with that in mind, and knowing that we're moving towards a goal, what are your reflections on season three? And, and I'm going to ask you in three different ways. As a listener, because you started as you started as a listener to Restoration Radio, as a host, and as the executive producer, what? What are the things that are different for you in each of those roles? Well, I would say first as a listener, I'm hearing more that interests me. Starting off early on with season one, it was kind of sporadic with the topics. It was, it was the same. I believe it was you know, Bishop Dolan in the first season was on quite a bit. And then, of course, you and Nicholas were, were, were both doing shows together, I think, under the, under the flagship title. So obviously with more content, comes more things that I want to hear. I listen to every show. I mean, I have to listen to every show simply because of my, my capacity, but I would listen anyway. And I think as a listener, we're hitting topics and we're hitting subject matter across a wide variety of subjects. We're, we're, we are really bringing a broad spectrum to the listener. And I too am a listener. I mean, like today, I listened to your Pastoralia show with um, uh, Father um, McKenna. You know, it, it was it was awesome to get to hear the things that interest me. I I think I told listeners uh, with the the year end host show that the show I was most looking forward to was the spiritual life with Father Bernard. I'm I, I'm just giddy that that show is incredible. So as a listener, I'm getting more that satisfies my ear, so to speak. Um, as a host. Well, my thoughts are that because I've taken out more shows that there's a, there's a lot less uh, – I feel like I want to do a tremendous amount of preparation for each show. I want to do a very thorough show outline and a very thorough show plan, um, and I want to run it by the clergy first and have us banter back and forth. And doing four shows, uh, if you include from the pulpit on that, I don't really have the time as much as I would like to. Um, and so I, like, like on Francis Watch, I have to lean a lot on the clergy to produce that show and do, do the show planning. So as a host, it's enjoyable to do more shows, but of course, I'm, I'm a self, self-accused perfectionist. 
which is probably why I'm in the profession that I'm in. But um, I would like to be able to really plan out shows a lot deeper than I do. Getting to work with more more show guests is a lot of fun. You know, getting to work obviously with with, with Father Chicada this season has been great. Uh, all weekend working with with uh, Bishop Sanborn and Bishop Dolan is is really great. Um, as a producer, I think my I think my my thoughts are wrapped up in our last segment. We need more help. Um, it, it's just if spending you know three to four to five hours a day um, doing all the back end stuff to bring the show to the foreground to get what you hear on air, it, it's a little bit more taxing. So I think that would be um, well. Let me let me add one more thing to that. I would say that. Um, getting to converse with people from all over the world. You know, we're a global network. We're getting we're getting emails from Australia, from Austria, Germany, Hungary, Poland, Canada, Mexico, South America. I mean, we're getting emails from literally all over the world and getting to hear uh, individual perspectives, which usually the people that contact us will give us a little perspective on what's happening with Catholicism where they are. And so obviously... You know, I, I'm based out of the United States, and it's very vibrant here. I mean, the United States is kind of the trad stronghold. Whether I mean, no matter what flavor you are within what we would call you know the trad sphere, um, it's it's a it's very vibrant compared to when you hear someone say, "I haven't seen a traditional mass in over eight months because we only get mass here twice a year." I mean, I think about you know Father Nkomoke who just recently went down to Nigeria. I mean. Those souls down there only get the sacraments twice a year. So it's humbling for me as a person who gets to go to Mass every Sunday and has access to the sacraments. And, of course, sometimes I can get to go to a daily Mass. Uh, it's very humbling for me to realize what I have. And as a Catholic, which comes before all of this, before anything that we do, you know, we, we have to worry about and concern ourselves with our faith and saving our souls first, long before any radio show. Um, you, you get a perspective as to how good you have it here in the States. And I'm sure you can speak a little bit of that, Stephen. Yes, I am. Uh, Justin, you're right. I, I am very cognizant of the fact that I, I have mass three times a week. I'm very grateful for that. But uh, here in Europe, there really should be a lot more uh, in, in terms of uh, non-Unuku masses. But um, the SSPX has such a stronghold here that, uh, but, that but that's a conversation for another time. I, I ask you those, those questions, so I have to answer them myself. As a, as a listener, I, I, like you, I'm very excited. I get, uh, I get access to shows that I want to hear. I listen to your shows. I listen to Nicholas's shows. I would never want to be part of a network that created shows that I wasn't interested in. We work really hard on our content, our concept creation. We throw around ideas a hundred times before we let them come to air. So it isn't, we don't, we don't write on the back of an envelope on Tuesday and then do a show on Wednesday. So as a listener, I'm really enjoying the content. As a host, I am, I am taking on the largest load I've ever taken. And I do that with a bit of trepidation and uh, knowing that I'm working across the time zones. But I've always felt that the best way for me to sometimes to, to work on getting a new host is doing the show first and then handing it off to someone who then has a model to work from. So they can say, okay, I, I see how you work with father. I see the kind of topics you cover. I feel comfortable doing that. And that's what I did with Justin. I had 
done the devotion show. I developed the concept behind it. I talked to him. I talked to Bishop Dolan. I introduced them. He didn't know Bishop Dolan before he had started hosting the show. Obviously, they had a chance to get acquainted and know each other before they ever went on air together. And I can, I'm sure Justin can attest to this. I mean, I don't read their correspondence, but you know, that relationship has developed over time and, and that's helped inform their relationship as, as host and guest. And I don't have an answer for executive producer because I'm not the executive producer. <laughs> there was a, there was a whole new language I had to learn to speak. I mean, I think we talked a little bit about that at the, at the season end show. I mean, so when you, I kind of felt like I was thrown to the gauntlet somewhat because here I was, you know, I've never been on the air and um, uh, hosting a show. Well, that's not true. I think I started taking over the, uh, the, the, Catholic History of Charles Coulomb show uh, just as a stopgap for Nicholas because he was so busy. And uh, of course, you know, I, I was intimidated working with Charles as well because, um, I mean, for obvious reasons. Uh, but um, getting to speak with them beforehand, kind of get a little a bit of a comfortable uh, familiarity and things like that helped out a lot. So, Stephen, let me ask you this question here about season three. We're into February now, and we are we're trudging right along. You know, we have a lot coming out, and um, we're going to push real hard up to our July break. Where do you see this going by the end of the year? I mean, what do you see the the development of the season going? Or I should say, where do you see the development of the season going and moving into season four? Well, you know me. I, I'm not a perfectionist, but I'm never going to say that we're doing the best that we can because our Lord expects more. Our listeners expect more, our clergy expect more, and we're always going to step up to that. I, it, it, the, the day that we sit back and, and be satisfied about Restoration Radio is the day it's going to start to change. And I never want to be there. I, I always want to be on the cutting edge. So I used to sit down with clergy and I'd put an audio recorder on the table, do the interview, and then I'd transcribe the audio and then I'd send it to them for correction. And, and then that evolved into video and I needed a place to store the video. And then we added YouTube as a way to preview some of that. So everything has evolved and restoration radio, as you heard in uh, the wrap up show for season two was Nicholas and I, and uh, another gentleman sitting around and saying, can we do this? You know, I came to them with an idea. I pitched them. They, they agreed on the idea and we said, Hey, what, what have we got to lose? We, we do a season and it's terrible and nobody listens. Hey, at least we tried something. I have no problem with trying something and having it fail. But the thing is we didn't fail. We succeeded and, and we're here. So where, where, where are we headed? Well, part of that, Justin, will be decided uh, at the end of this year when we do our annual meeting for, for the owner, the ownership group and with the host. And we talk about what, what happens next uh, and we'll evaluate. But I think where, where we're going is we're seeing a, a big rise in premium membership. So people who are not taking our content for granted, people who listen to our plea and we say, you know, don't, you know, if you can't give some, if you can't give a big membership, you know, give us a dollar. And we have had a people who've actually heard us and they've donated a dollar. And I can't tell you what that means for people who don't have a lot of means that they're willing to say, look, we're going to give a dollar, not because we think our work's only worth a dollar, but what that means is you're not just happy to get all of this content, which takes an enormous amount of time and preparation. And by the way, cost, everything, everything on the internet costs money. I am not a web programmer. Justin's not a web programmer, not a graphic designer. Justin's not a graphic designer. 
when we have to have work done, and by the way, if you're a traditional Catholic and you do those things, we are happy to pay you and hire you. We just don't know that you do that. Just reach out and email Justin. But we, we've hired seculars who are re- reliable and have worked with, with me and other businesses before, and they do, they do good work. So, but we have to pay for all of that stuff. When, when you see a brand new logo that took a lot of time to think about, you know, for years, True Restoration was a T and an R <laughs> because I didn't have money to pay for a logo. And at the time, it was a hobby business, and I was just letting it cash flow itself. It, it isn't a business I live off of. Uh, I don't take any income. I don't take any real income from true restoration. So uh, as time went on and things got more serious, well, we're going to have to have a logo. Well, we're going to have, a, have to have a social media manager. Well, we're going to have to do this. We're going to do that. And other things have just made sense along the way. We, we ran across Trad Circle, something that father had started, but really it had suffered from not having a full-time moderator. And as a result, it had gotten more abundant. And all it took was bringing, and I'm not trying to brag, I, I think that, uh, honestly, our team's just engaged. We're an engaged group of people, and we went in there, and it's thriving in there. We've had, we had a really great chat party uh, just, uh, I guess, about a week ago, and had a lot of fun, got to know each other, ended with a prayer, and that's just, I, I, I'm sorry, that's not available to most of us. Most of us don't live around a bunch of Catholic friends, so the fact that we could get together once a month over the internet, chat, we're talking about the uh, making a, a trip together uh, sometime and maybe a priest will accompany us. So we'll have access to the sacraments. So that's the sort of stuff that just happens when you are in the right place at the right time. And, and as, as the network develops, I think that the increase in premium subscribers, so platinums, gold, silvers, people who are paying for this, they're not just taking it for granted. What that means is, we are going to step it up. If you're going to step it up for us, we're going to step up what we're delivering. And we're going to make sure that the people who are financially supporting us get not only access to the most content, but uh, get more input into what we do. And as we get to the end of our you know, season, those are the people who we're going to be soliciting comments from. We're most interested in what our subscribers have to say because they put their money where their mouth is. They're not just happy to, you know, I remember, I remember a gentleman who had taken the time to write us a three-page email to tell us uh, that we needed to do a show, what was it, Justin, on... Uh, introduction on, to metaphysics, is that right? Well, it was introduction, of, and then he wanted a, the, the, the stages of the interior life. You yeah, know, high right. level, right. High-level mental... Now, that's important stuff, and if you haven't read The Interior Castle by St. Teresa, you need to read that book, but... Was that the burning thing that we needed to introduce this season? I didn't believe so. And he wrote another one on, we need to do it in depth. So he took all of this time, and I appreciate it. Thank you for uh, doing, articulating some th- thoughts that were in our heads or, or giving us new thoughts that we hadn't thought about. What I found interesting was the gentleman had never even donated a dollar. And I had said, well, you, you do realize it's going to take us some resources to do the research, preparation of the show. If you're at all interested, if you want to put some money towards this, I can allocate some resources towards this. No answer. And, I, 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 you know, that's the sort of thing that, that Dustin and I and Nicholas will just sort of laugh about, that ideas are worth whatever you pay for them. So if you want to suggest a show, that's great. If you want to suggest a show and you're a subscriber, we're, we're really focused on trying to make that happen because our subscribers make this happen. And 
and we're going to do everything we can to step up the way that they've stepped up. Yeah, I try to make sure that um, you know if somebody comes across my screen in a in an email format, who's a who's a platinum subscriber. I mean, I I, I try to jump on the email as soon as I possibly can, and, and uh, certainly address everything that you know they have you know right away. And that's not that, that's not don't I don't want our listeners to get the sense that we're sitting here harping about this because you know we're trying to make money and this that and the other. That's not the case. It would. What it's a case of is the people that support what we're doing deserve the best from us. They deserve the most attention from us, and, uh, and I think we try to deliver on that. One thing I would speak speak of uh, in terms of initiative of our listeners and maybe stepping up a little bit, not just financially, but but um, certainly in a volunteer wise, is you know take a bit of a cue from our clergy. I don't know, Stephen, about you, but I can speak for the fact that. In my case, I've never floated an idea past any of our clergy that they just said, no, I don't have the time to do that. They have been so uh, so eager and so willing to, to, to embrace any show topic or any idea that we give to them. I mean, and we're not talking about priests that are just sitting around all day talking about the good old days of the Catholic Church and waiting for us to call. I mean, they are, they are extremely, extremely busy. They have very, very vibrant and busy ministries. They have many souls they care for across the globe, and they are they are doing. Uh, they are never telling us no. They're wanting to do more. Um, I remember when we floated the idea of uh, work of human hands past Father Chicada. It wasn't a. His response wasn't. Well, you know, I'll have to check my <laughs> schedule. It was. Yeah, sure. I mean, it, and that's the type of can-do attitude that, that I think should serve as uh, really an example to all of us. And I speak for myself, too, because certainly there's times where I just, just say, oh, I don't feel like doing that, or I don't have time to do that. But, you know, your time is what you make of it. You do have time. Uh, you know, we all have time. And, yes, we all, live, you know, we all lead busy lives. But I think that initiative tying back into where we're going with Seasons 3 and 4 and obviously beyond – um, I, I think it's finding like-minded individuals that are going to embrace that, and certainly the clergy are leading the way with that example. I would, I would also add on that, you know, if it w- I hope you would have at least the grace and courtesy to send a thank you to our clergy. That, uh, and if you can't afford a stamp to send them a good old-fashioned thank you note, that you would send an email to Justin, which, by the way, is at least free as far as I know, last time I checked. And you can send that to Justin, and Justin will forward it to the relative, uh, to, to the clergy. If you want it to be more private, just say, uh, Justin, could you connect me with Father? I'd like to send him a note. Fine. We don't, we don't need to read it. But please don't take our clergy for granted. Keep in mind that your expressing your gratitude and what, what this means to you can keep them going. They've got a lot on their plate. They're human, too. They need encouragement. They don't need you to tell them how awesome they are. They just need to, they need to know that what they're doing is relevant to their to your Catholic life and that it helps you. That or, or, you know, don't, don't forget to send them a mass stipend. This is something that I'm amazed at how this wonderful, wonderful, pious practice has fallen into disuse today. I mean, um, I was talking with some, some folks the other day and I, and I just casually mentioned, not in a judgmental way, I, I would just, just casually mention, you know, they were, they were having a problem in their life. And I said, well, have you, have you had a mass said for this? And, you know, blank stares. 
Uh, and I don't think for some reason that this just crosses people's Catholic radar nearly as much as it should. You, know, you have to understand what the Mass is. You know, first and foremost, having a Mass offered for an intention that you have or for a loved one that you want to convert or the soul of a, of a departed Catholic uh, that, that you want to try and free from purgatory or you know, praying for the repose of their soul. I mean, this is, this, is extremely, this is extremely Catholic, and this is what people are supposed to be doing. So, and not to mention the fact that in justice, I mean, you should support your priest. They're not, they may not be your parish priest, but if they're helping you, in some way, then in justice, what's, what's $20 to send to a priest to have a Mass said? If you don't know how to do that, if, you, if you've never done that, let that begin right now. You know, make, a, make a point. I think most of our listeners, not all of our listeners, but I would say most of our listeners can afford $20 once a month to have one Mass said. And keep in mind, Justin's referencing $20. That's where he is. For some priests, it's 25 In different parts of the world, it may be the equivalent of $30, U.S. depending on where you are. So obviously, just ask the priest at a time, say, Father, what is it, what do you normally charge for a mass stipend? And, or what do you normally accept? I guess if the word is in charge, what do you normally accept for a mass stipend and, and work off of that? So we want to celebrate episode number 100 of Restoration Radio by giving you a gift. Uh, again, this is a gift that was enabled by our subscribers because our subscribers help pay for different costs of things. And we want to take uh, 30 minutes from the Bishop Sanborn Conference and make it available for free. Now, obviously, if you listen to it and you, 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 you're, you can't stop listening, sign up as a gold member. Gold members and above have access to the entire conference. It's not available to the public currently. So uh, if, you, if you like it, sure. You get to the end, Justin's going to, uh, when we finish talking about it, Justin's going to hit play and, and you'll get to listen to the 30 minutes. Now, obviously, the 15-minute trailer is already available. And you, you, I think it makes sense to listen to it from the beginning again. I know that you should just skip to 1501 and, and start from there. Uh, watch it all together. And um, I'd be very surprised if, if anyone would feel comfortable stopping, you know, right there. I think that they're going to want to keep going. And I guess, Justin, let me start by asking, why do you think they're going to want to keep going? What, what hit you about that conference, despite the fact that you host multiple shows with Vision Sandborn? Um, well, number one, the clarity. I mean, anybody who's familiar with Bishop Sanborn's sermons understands that he doesn't mince words. He, uh, he, certainly, has a, uh, he certainly has a way of cutting right to the chase, as we say here in the States. Um, I think uh, probably this is the first time that I've I've ever heard a conference that lays out everything that I had to do research on tirelessly to come to the theological conclusions that I have. Uh, he really he really outlines in plain English everything that is going on with the church, what has gone on, and what the burden is upon us, what the, what the Catholic understanding is, and what's expected of us in these times. I mean, Bishop Sanborn, he says a couple of times in this, in this conference, you know, there is no gray area. There's black and there is white. Now, those who listen to Bishop Sanborn are not surprised by that, uh, by that statement, but it really boils down to that's it. It is black and white, and you do have to think about these things. And he challenges us in this conference um, to disconnect any emotions that you have and look at this very objectively. 
and he lays out all the arguments uh, against the the conclusion of sedevacantism. Charitably, I might add. I mean, this isn't. He's not accusing anybody at all. He is. He's merely laying out the objective facts and saying, you know, as we like to say, it is what it is, and this is what it is. All of these old canards that I had heard uh, through various stages of my traditional journey were just torn down, and they were torn down in a way that was very easy to understand, very easy to comprehend. And this is, interestingly enough, these are the same comments that we're getting from people who have seen the conference saying, my gosh, I mean, this, is, this, may, this really has clarified everything for me. I, you know, I had a misgiving about this or about that. And, um, you know, I was able to, to really come to terms with what I believe. You know, you have to begin asking yourself, what do I believe? And um, what, what do my actions signify that my beliefs are? And uh, Bishop Sanborn goes through it, I mean, just one after the other, after the other, after the other. It really boils down to, and it kind of ties into the From the Pulpit series last year, you know, the Vatican II series, which if you haven't listened to, Go to RestorationRadioNetwork.com, scroll down to, uh, it's somewhere around August, I guess, of last year, where we started the From the Pulpit series, which is his five-part uh, deep forensic uh, study of the problems with Vatican II. And so in the conference, Bishop Sanborn kind of goes back to that same, that same question. Okay, everything we have to ask ourselves begin, begins with this. Not personal heresies, not, oh, Bergoglio said this, or Ratzinger said that, or you know, Watiwa said this, or Montini said that. Certainly there's plenty of those, no question about it. But that is a, that is a manifestation of a deeper problem, and that deeper problem is Vatican II. Is Vatican II Roman Catholicism, as it has always been known? Yes, you, you'll hear Bishop Sanborn say this. There are parts, there, there are certainly perfectly Catholic things stated within the documents, but there's also that poison in there. And the poison is what has really broken and has allowed everything to go on. And so it all starts with the Second Vatican Council, which I'm sure, like if Stephen can vouch, I mean, we have read tons of books on Vatican II. And you can see it in black and white, but when you hear a bishop telling this to you, and you hear the absolute relevant examples and uh, uh, the teachings of the Catholic Church historically, and then the teachings of the Novus Ordo sect post-Vatican II, it's, it really is black and white. So that, I think that's my take-home from this conference, is that it, it provides, you know, the conference is an hour long with about what was 45, 48, 50 minutes or so of follow-up questions. And the questions that the people are asking are all the questions that I asked. They were, they were all the same questions that I had to work through, albeit without this conference and without everything condensed into this nice package. So that's what I would... That's what I would say were my reflections on the conference. Well, I, as someone who was behind the camera, one of the challenges when, when I'm the cameraman, I think that the luxury of, if you look at the, the last few seasons of True Restoration Media's content delivery, it's always been shot with a professional cameraman on an HD camera. When I'm not operating the camera, there's not an extra level of, of thought. I'm able to simply focus on the questions. Now, since I wasn't doing an interview, I was able to step back and I was looking at the camera. I was shooting on different equipment than we were used to. So I still shot in HD, but it required a little bit of, of um, 
shall we say, uh, juggling. And Justin, and that meant that Justin had to do a little bit of uh, cutting together and editing. Not when I say a little bit, I mean a lot. And so um, that's why it took a while for us. That's why we missed our first deadline to 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 get it to our subscribers because we underestimated the time using that different equipment. But since he was giving a conference and I wasn't doing an interview, I was a little bit more free to just simply sit back and, and relax. I think the host of the shows will tell you we we don't really when we're in the show we are we're working through our show notes we're we're paying attention to what mother's saying we're taking our own notes on what they're saying we're using that to figure out where we'd like to take the conversation next so even though we're doing the show we sometimes don't always hear everything that's being when we say we don't hear it obviously we hear it but we we miss things and sometimes when we go back and we listen to our shows oh that's really interesting that father said that well i was there but sometimes when you're getting ready to move on to the next topic, you might, you might miss something. So by the same token, being able to, to simply sit behind the camera and, and watch, simply enjoy it. And it was, uh, was unbelievable. It was, it was really great. And it's interesting to think that something like that's never been done before. So Yeah, definitely. Definitely. One thing I would add to that is that the people who have seen the conference, the emails that we have received – not a single email that we have received has been in any way critical of the conference. It has been overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly positive. Uh, I mean, the time that goes into this, which was made possible by our subscribers, I think they're, they are seeing the fruits of this, it's particularly in this conference. Well, I think we've, we've done quite a bit of intro there. Um, this is our gift to you um, via our subscribers and our clergy through the, um, the grace of His Excellency Bishop Donald Sanborn uh, as a commemoration of our 100th episode on the Restoration Radio Network. We would like to give you this 30-minute excerpt of Bishop Sanborn's excellent conference, and we hope that you enjoy it. There has been an uptick in interest lately in state of Acantism because of Bergoglio in the past nine months or so. Uh, he has done so many outrageous things and said so many outrageous things that people are thinking a little bit more than they used to under Ratzinger and, and John Paul II. So I will present uh, all of the forms of reaction to Vatican II and comment on them. I will explain the fundamental principles which guide our decision concerning how we react to Vatican II. And I will show Sedevacantism as the only viable Catholic solution. And I will answer objections to Sedevacantism. I will speak about opinionism. And I will speak about the unicum mass. So first, what are the principles? <clears throat> The fundamental question concerning all of our reaction to Vatican II is this. Is the religion of Vatican II Roman Catholicism or not? When I say the religion, I mean the ensemble of doctrines, disciplines, and liturgical practices. Those are the three essential aspects of religion, any religion. Are those three things taken together, the entire ensemble, do they, taken together, represent and consist of Roman Catholicism? Is it Catholic or not? And there is a 
yes or no answer to that question. The, the answer that we give to that question will determine everything else that we think or do about the problem of Vatican II. And it's very important to situate yourself in that regard concerning that question. Usually, the way that we go is by a reaction to the new mass. The, the traditional movement was born out of a reaction to the new mass. But the mass and liturgical practices of the church are the, we might say, the face of the church. But they do not constitute the foundation of the church. Doctrine does. And if we remain simply on the level of reacting to a mass that we don't like, that we find something wrong with, but never getting down to the fundamentals, we are going to make errors. Because that is simply, essentially, a gut reaction. I don't like this. This doesn't speak to me as Catholicism or as a Catholic mass. I don't like it. I want the traditional Latin mass. That's usually the root of, of someone who is reacting to Vatican II. It's not wrong, but it is insufficient. Now, no one challenges that there have been changes in the church as a result of Vatican II. Every single person in the world would agree with that statement. Now, let us look at the changes of Vatican II. Principally, they are ecumenism. That is, at the, the, the real bottom of Vatican II. Uh, Vatican II was called to consecrate ecumenism. And from ecumenism came various other errors, such as religious liberty, such as a new conception of the Catholic Church, uh, and uh, collegiality, in order to conform the Catholic Church to the Greek Orthodox way of doing things. It all comes back to ecumenism, and even ecumenism has a more fundamental principle to it, and that is relativism of truth. Modernism destroys the Catholic notion of absolute truth. The absolute truth of the Catholic Church prevents the Catholic Church from being ecumenical. But once you destroy the absoluteness of Catholic dogma, then the door is open to ecumenism, which was condemned in 1928 by Pope Pius XI. So there have been many, many liturgical changes, many, many disciplinary changes. I'm sure all of you are familiar with those. I don't have to go over them. There is a whole new face of Catholicism today in, in comparison to what it was in 1958 when Pius XII died. You would not recognize the church uh, of 1958 and of today as being the same religion or the same church. So the question is, are these changes of Vatican II substantial or accidental? That is, have these changes gotten into the substance of the Catholic Church, the very essence of the Catholic Church, her doctrines, her liturgy, her disciplines? Or are they merely accidental, something like changing the color of the walls in your room? And there is, no, there is nothing in between substantial and accidental. Any change that occurs in nature is either substantial or accidental. 
If I burn something up, that's a substantial change. If I paint it a different color, that's an accidental change. There's nothing in between. So these changes of Vatican II are either substantial or they are accidental. Another principle we must, must understand is that the church can never change substantially. She is indefectible. It is impossible that there be a substantial change of the Catholic Church. If it happens, it means you have a defected church. However, another principle is that the church is subject to accidental change. The church does not say mass, if we look at the traditional mass, in, in exactly the same way today as it did at the time of the first century AD. It was somewhat different. Even at the time of St. Gregory, it was slightly different. The offertory was brought in during the, the, the early Middle Ages from the Gallican Rite, for example. St. Pius V added certain things to the Mass. He brought the prayers of the foot of the altar into the Mass from the sacristan. He added the last gospel. So there are the Catholic Church has always been subject to substantial change. Look at the Eastern, excuse me, accidental change. You have to look at the Eastern Rites. They are accidentally different from the Roman rite, yet they are substantially the same worship. So the, that question of substantial or accidental change is capital, because if Vatican II merely represents accidental change, then we must accept it. And the traditional movement has no reason or purpose for existence. If it is merely accidental, we may not like it, but it is, if it is merely accidental change, we cannot oppose it on any solid ground. It might be better or worse, you could say. It, it might be less expressive than the traditional right or the traditional way of presenting doctrines. It might be more expressive, but if it is accidental, it doesn't affect the substance of the Catholic Church. Another question to ask concerning the Novus Ordo is, can I save my soul by practicing the Novus Ordo religion? If I go to the church that, uh, that Bergoglio wants me to go to, my local parish church, and I practice there the mass and the sacraments and everything that he prescribes for me, is that the path to salvation? Is that pleasing to God? Can I save my soul in that, in that environment? Is the Novus Ordo, and by that I mean the whole ensemble of doctrine and practices and liturgical uh, practices, uh, it, it, is that pleasing to God? Is the Novus Ordo pleasing to God? Or not? There's a yes or no answer to that. Those questions must be answered before you can go anywhere with regard to deciding what to do about it. Soon, John Paul II is going to be canonized. This means that a man who made it his life's work to promulgate Vatican II and who, who participated in 
liturgical abominations against the first commandment in the name of Vatican II, namely Assisi, that he is going to be canonized. That means that not only can you save your soul in the Novus Ordo, but you can become a saint by promulgating the Novus Ordo. That's going to be a big problem for the Society of St. Pius X. If he's a saint and he promulgated the Novus Ordo and participated in all of these ecumenical acts, then how, how do they stand? If you can go to heaven and be a saint by doing that, then what is the purpose of the SSPX? So the answer to the question will determine the Catholic response to Vatican II. Is Vatican II Catholicism or not? The answer to that question will determine our response. There is a yes or no answer as to whether Vatican II is Catholic or not. There is no gray. There is nothing in between those two things. If the answer is yes, it is Catholicism, then we must accept Vatican II. If it is no, then we must utterly reject it. There is no gray between those two things. There is no middle ground. Either it is accidental change or it is substantial change. There is no middle ground between those two things. It is like a fork in the road. If we say yes, it is Catholicism, then the proper attitude toward Vatican II is to accept it, submit to the authority of the church. If the new mass offends our sensibilities, then we can seek the motu proprio mass. We can say to the proper authorities that we would prefer the traditional mass and they might give us the traditional mass in place. That's what they have done by the motu proprio. That would be still a Catholic response that we're saying Vatican II is all correct. The new mass is correct. Everything is, is in order. It's just that our sensibilities prefer this. That is essentially the position of all of the religious congregations that adhere to the motu proprio or who have some sort of indult or permission to use the traditional mass, the Christ the King, the fraternity of St. Peter, others too. If the answer is no, it is not Catholicism, Vatican II is not Catholicism, then we must reject Vatican II and all of its reforms in the same manner as the church rejected heresies in the past. Then we are in the same position as Catholics in the 16th century. We must reject it so fundamentally and so firmly that we have to be willing to die rather than to participate in any way in this substantial distortion of Roman Catholicism. There is no middle ground between those two positions because it either is Catholicism or it is. Another important principle to understand is that it is impossible that the authority of the Catholic Church promulgate 
to the whole church, false doctrine, evil disciplines, and false liturgical practices. This is the guarantee of Christ to the Catholic Church. Whatever thou shalt bind upon earth shall be bound also in heaven. If this were not true, then the church could and would defect in her essential mission, which is the salvation of souls. If the church universally could give to the whole world something that is displeasing to God, false worship, false doctrines, evil disciplines, then it becomes nothing better than the Church of England or any other religious body that has no guarantee or assistance from God. It really should not exist. It has no purpose. We would be better trying to figure out our own religion in such a case than to be led by something that could lead us to hell. Hence, if we take the position that Vatican II is a substantial change of the Catholic faith, we must necessarily conclude that it cannot come from the authority of the church because it is a universal teaching it is it, it has made universal practices it has, it has established universal practices and universal liturgical observances for the whole church if these things are substantial changes of the catholic faith we must necessarily conclude that it cannot come from the authority of the church why is this so because the authority of the church is the authority of Christ. Well, Pius XII said it in Mystici Corporates, that the, the authority, the power of the Pope, is the same as the authority of Christ. There are not two heads in the sense of two different authorities. There is the invisible head, Christ, and the visible head, the Pope. The Pope is the vicar of Christ. They both have the same authority. So the authority of the Pope is the same as the authority of Christ. So we would be obliged to say that this, this distortion, this defection, this substantial change has come down from the authority of Christ, which is blasphemy, if we take the position that Vatican II is a distortion of the Catholic faith, a substantial distortion of the Catholic faith, yet it comes from the authority of the church. We would be obliged to place it right into the will of Christ, that the will of Christ is that we accept a substantial distortion of the Catholic faith. That is blasphemy. So we know that we can't go there. Hence, the position that Vatican II is not Catholic necessarily requires that we say that the perpetrators of Vatican II do not bear the authority of Christ. It follows logically and necessarily. Hence, Sadiovicantism. Sadificantism does not argue principally from the personal heresies of Bergoglio or Ratzinger or anybody else. It argues principally from, the, from Vatican II and what the modernists have done to Vatican II. Is it Catholicism or not? 
does it come, if it is not Catholicism, it cannot come from the authority of the church. Therefore, by strict logic, those people who claim to be the authority are not the authority of the church. Despite whatever appearances they have or anything else they may have, they are not the authority of the church. Now, that's, that, those are the general principles of ecclesiology, and this is, this is the teaching of the church and of theologians concerning the very nature of the Catholic Church. That's what we, that is the major premise of the, of the syllogism that I'm going to give you today. The minor premise is, but Vatican II is substantial change. So we're saying, as the first general principle, if it is substantial change, then those who have perpetrated it cannot be the authority of the Catholic Church. But Vatican II is substantial change. Look at ecumenism, which is condemned by Pope Pius XI. Look at religious liberty, condemned by Pope Pius IX. Uh, the new ecclesiology that has been condemned by very many popes. The collegiality, which was uh, condemned in the 18th century. Look at the new mass, the new disciplines, all of the things that are permitted that are mortal sins in the traditional books of the church, such as uh, communicatio in sacris, where non-Catholics can receive Catholic communion and Catholics can receive non-Catholic communion. That's, that's considered mortal sin. You look up any, any moral theology, but it's a mortal sin, a confusion of religion. The loss of the marks of the Catholic church. Where is the unity of faith? If you look at polls, most people do not believe that Christ is present in the Holy Eucharist. They do not believe in transubstantiation. All of the polls that you see, they are nearly all the same. Many other dogmas are denied. Uh, the, uh, for example, artificial birth control, that it is wrong, is denied by most people that call themselves Catholics. They believe that it is perfectly correct. Many other moral issues are denied by people who call, who call themselves Catholics, and nothing happens. There is absolutely uh, a, a dogmatic chaos in what purports to be Roman Catholicism today. Chaos. There is no unity of faith. There is no holiness. Where is the holiness? of Catholicism in what we call the Novus Ordo. There is no Catholicity because there is no unity. You have to have unity of faith in order to have Catholicity because Catholicity is one faith that is communicated to many. And you don't have the uh, unity of government in as much as the, the, uh, what is done is not done cannot be done in the name of Christ. It is not the true government of the Catholic Church. The only thing that you can grant them is a certain organizational and administrative unity that you could grant to General Motors or to any other organization in the world. So, again, I could spend a great deal of time on that very point, that it is a substantial change. But I want to give you simply the essentials in this talk and to, to guide you in 
how to resolve these problems. Hence, we must conclude necessarily to say the Vacantism. If we are saying that Vatican II is substantial change, we must conclude necessarily to say the Vacantism. Now, what are the three positions of reaction to Vatican II? The first is that Vatican II and its changes, the reforms, everything that you know as the Novus Ordo and, and the whole gamut, is essentially orthodox. It may not be ideal, but it is essentially orthodox. That, that is the position of indult people, people who have followed the indult and then the motu proprio mass, uh, the fraternity of St. Peter and others. We accept Vatican II, they say. We accept it perhaps reluctantly. We accept all the reforms perhaps reluctantly, but we want our niche of traditional liturgical practice within this great Vatican II structure. That's, that's the first way of reacting to it. The second is to say Vatican II is not orthodox. It is substantial defection from Catholicism. Therefore, it must be rejected, and with it, the legitimacy of its hierarchy, as we already pointed out. Then there is a third way, and that is, that is of the Society of St. Pius X, which says that Vatican II is bad. It never really answers the question of whether it is substantial defection from Catholicism or not, but that it is bad. So we reject what we think is bad and accept what we think is good. At the same time, we launch a worldwide apostolate in defiance of the persons that we say constitute the Roman Catholic hierarchy, that is, uh, Bergoglio and all of the bishops in union with him. So they consecrate bishops, they, they uh, ordain priests, they set up parishes and schools and convents and religious orders, as if the Pope doesn't exist. And the only thing that they do is put a picture of the, uh, the Novus Ordo Pope in the front of their churches. And they put his name in the canon. And this is their way of saying we recognize him as Pope. Now, numbers one and two, that Vatican II is essentially orthodox. That's number one. Number two is Vatican II is unorthodox are at least consistent with the principles of Catholicism. Because you have that fork in the road. Vatican II is substantially Catholic. Vatican II is not substantially Catholic. That's the fork in the road. If it is substantially Catholic, then there is a certain logic that flows from that. If it is not substantially Catholic, there is a logic that flows from that. So one and two are at least logically consistent. So the fraternity of St. Peter, although I would disagree with their position, because I do not agree that Vatican II is substantially Catholic, I would say are at least consistent that they, they follow Catholic principles of determining what to do about the problem. They are logical. It makes sense if you admit the orthodoxy of Vatican. 
anti-sedimacanthism is consistent and logical if you say Vatican II is not orthodox, is not Catholicism. As we have seen, it necessarily concludes through the fact that it is impossible that it proceed from the authority of the Catholic Church. Those two lines have consistency and logic in their favor. Number three, the SSPX is an impossible solution for, the, for these reasons. First of all, the act of mounting a worldwide apostolate against the Novus Ordo hierarchy argues that the Novus Ordo is intrinsically evil and that one cannot save his soul in it. Why else would you do that? Why would you set up churches and seminaries and try to attract people away from the mass and the sacraments and the priests that Bergoglio has sent out? Except that you cannot save your soul in those churches. If we can save our soul in those Novus Ordo churches, why don't we just go? Why is the traditional mass or the traditional movement necessary if we can go to heaven, just as John Paul II supposedly did, by embracing the Novus Ordo. That's the ultimate end of what we do, is to go to heaven. If we can go to heaven that way, let's go. But to establish such an elaborate apostolate is to say implicitly that you cannot save your soul. If you cannot save your soul in it, that argues necessarily to say that it can't. Because, as I said, it is impossible that the authority of Christ promulgates to the whole church something that leads you to hell. It's like the airplane to hell. It's inconceivable that the authority of Christ would, would put you on the airplane to hell. To, to make that statement implicitly, what they do so, by what, what they do, they're making the statement that the that the, uh, the Novus Ordo is something in which you cannot save yourself. It concludes necessarily to say that we can do. But at the same time, they profess to be, this is the SSPX, professes to be in communion with the Novus Ordo hierarchy and professes to seek to be recognized by it and to work with it. They have done this since the beginning. Uh, the, the SSPX was founded in 1970 as a Novus Ordo um, congregation, actually it wasn't even a congregation, a pious union in the Diocese of Fribourg in Switzerland. It had a, a license to exist from the Novus Ordo. It was suppressed by the Novus Ordo in 1974. And ever since, they have sought to regain their recognition by the Novus Ordo hierarchy. And they have not stopped. They have not repudiated the idea of being recognized and working with the Novus Ordo hierarchy. And so what is the Novus Ordo for that? Is it Catholicism or not? And by some of the things they say and do, you would conclude that it is not Catholicism. By some of the things they say and do, you would conclude it is Catholicism. 
They also say that they are with the Pope. This is impossible since the Pope is not with them. If I, if, if John says he's with Mary, it is necessary that Mary be with John. You cannot be with somebody unless that person is standing next to you. So they cannot say, I am with the Pope, when the Pope says you're a systematic sect. I have nothing to do with you. That, that's simply a false statement to say they are with the Pope. They are not with the Pope because the Pope is not with them, and he is the principal in that relationship. He's the one that holds all the power. He is the one that is the source of Catholic communion, if he is the Pope. So it is far more important that he be with them than that they be with him. He is not with them. Therefore, they're out on their own. And the placing of a picture in the vestibule of the church or the, the naming of him in the canon of the Mass doesn't do anything for that essential relationship that is missing. Namely, that you are approved by the Roman Congress. We at the Restoration Radio Network would ask that if you found the show to be informative, helpful, or in any way beneficial to you and to your faith, that you would please consider making whatever donation is possible to our apostolate, no matter how small it may be. To those of you who have donated, a heartfelt thank you for your kindness and generosity. If you have any questions or comments, or would like to reproduce our work on your channel in some format, we'd love to hear from you. Feel free to leave us a message on our Twitter handle, at TrueRestoration, or via email at mail at TrueRestoration.org. For the Restoration, I am Justin Soder, having been joined by Stephen Heiner, and may God bless you. This program was brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novus Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovusOrdoWatch.org. That's NovusOrdoWatch.org.